Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. And we've gone through all the chapters except for the final chapter, which is basically categorized as the conclusion of why whoever wrote the book Ecclesiastes was saying vanity of vanities, all is vanities. Because the word vanity means emptiness. Emptiness of emptiness. All is emptiness. But all is not emptiness. It's very clear by what he writes in there that there is something of value and that thing of value, that thing of substance is actually spiritual. It is from God. It is when God is writing on your heart and upon your mind. And when God is writing upon your heart and your mind, how do you know that it is actually God writing upon your heart and your mind? Well, of course, this is a topic that comes up with James. And he says, by your works, by what you're doing. And of course, that's nothing different than what John said when he talked about being born again. A lot of people think they're born again. But if you read just a little bit on from the statement about being born again, we find out that, well, if you're still doing works of iniquity, <laughs> you're probably not born again. And people don't want to hear that. They want their ears tickled. They would rather follow the blind than to see their own failing, their own sin, their own their, their own. A willingness to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil rather than eat of the tree of life. Because that that's the difficulty is that when you eat of the tree of life, you begin to see that you don't have the power to decide what is good and evil on your own. You're just not that smart. You're, you haven't been given that kind of knowledge and that tree of knowledge, that intellect in our own minds and bodies is insufficient to determine what is good and evil. I just saw one of the PragerU uh, videos done by uh, Tim Pool talking about liars and the fact that the media has been lying and lying and lying. The, the mainstream, the you know, the the media that everybody you know looks to has been lying over and over and over again. That it's not, it's, they're not giving you the news, they're giving you a series of lies. Misinformation. Now, to tell the truth, most lies that are told in the world, probably always, but certainly today, are told by people who actually believe that they are true. They believe that the lie is true and they repeat the lie because they believe the lie is true. But when Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, he was looking for people who would believe the truth. The truth of the kingdom. The truth of what is not a lie. The truth of what is not vanity. 
the truth of what is not empty. Because, see, lie, most lies are also simply not completely true statements. That not completely true information. It's what evil leaves out that makes a lie a lie. I mean, obviously they can say things that are contradictory to truth. But the really good liars, if there's such a oxymoron as a good liar, is those who use the truth, but don't tell you the whole truth. I added to our pages on jury and jury nullification over the last day or so, uh, which is information we've had. We've had it at His Holy Church. Uh, Dot org. Uh, if you do a search, you might have found some of this information. But it's uh, jury nullification is the right of the jury to decide fact and law, which appears in numerous constitutions of the individual states and is reported as, you know, by Jefferson, Adams, even Hamilton, uh, John Marshall, all said that the jury had the right to decide fact and law in America. And, of course, that's a certain kind of jury. And, of course, if we look at the definition of a jury, it has this right to decide fact and law. And uh, it's also composed of freeholders, landed individuals, people who actually own land. And then you can get into a complicated thing like who actually owns land. (laughs) You had to be... uh, an actual freeholder of land in order to be on a jury at one time to to have a certain kind of jury. Now, there are many kinds of juries. That's the problem. And some juries have the right to decide fact and law and some juries do not. But it was considered an absolute duty of the juror to decide this fact and law. Now, he might decide it incorrectly But when it came to the power of acquittal, there there is no question that the, the, the common law jury of America had the right in the early days of America to decide fact and law. This is well defined throughout, uh, cases, judge, uh, judgments by, uh, judges, by Supreme Courts, by Superior Courts have written a great deal about the power of the jury to acquit, even though they know the individual is guilty of a violation of the law. Because it would be a miscarriage of justice, either because the law is inadequate, or maybe it's uh, usurping an authority that the legislature didn't really have. But it was part of the checks and balances. Everybody talks about the three branches of government. In the United States, which they include in that the judiciary, but the truth is, if the jury has the right or had the right at one time in America to decide fact and law, then the people is the fourth branch of government, and that fits in well with the theme of why they began to translate the Bible into English with people like Wycliffe who someone wrote in the foreword of his translation of the Bible that this is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. 
Now, it would be good if the legislature and the judicial department and the executive branches also read the Bible, but the reality is is that the fourth branch of government being that government of the people for the people and by the people, not the legislature, not the judiciary, and not the executive branch, means that they have to take back their responsibility of being a part of that government. And every part of that responsibility they neglect or or reject becomes a doorway to usurpation, a doorway to tyranny. And actually, I, I, I saved it on my phone, uh, a statement by uh, Jordan Peterson talking about the very same thing, that any responsibility that you don't assume and attend to, such as the weightier matters, of society. Jesus talks about that. Condemns the Pharisees for not attending to the weightier matters. And would condemn most modern Christians today for not attending to the weightier matters. To say nothing of the Corbin of the Pharisees, which is actually the Corbin of modern Christendom. Modern Christianity has pursued the ways of the Pharisees more than the ways of Christ for the last 100 years in America. But they don't know it. But they have to be willing to see the truth of that statement. And that, of course, is what we've been doing, going over Ecclesiastes, showing you that there is something modern Christendom will not look at, will not address, will not attend to. And it it is so fundamental to the gospel that when you bring it up, uh, you either get a deer in a headlight look or you, you, you get people that really have to contemplate or you get anger and resentment. And it all comes back to a theme that we see throughout the Bible Mentioned in Ecclesiastes, a little bit different terminology, the sacrifice of fools. The sacrifice of fools is the Corban of the Pharisees. Corban means sacrifice. So the Corban of the Pharisees, the sacrifice of the Pharisees was the sacrifice of fools. It was what David talked about And Paul quoted David when he talked about it. Is that it was what should have been for your welfare became a snare. And what became, what was a part of your welfare? Well, of course, it's something that we covered in our entire series on Exodus, which you can go free online. Got, uh, hours and hours and hours of audio going over almost every verse in Exodus showing you exactly what Moses was doing, which was setting up a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, an intentional community under the authority of God, where the people in the juries of the people, for the people, and by the people, had the right to decide 
fact and law when it comes to acquittal. They didn't make new law. They couldn't legislate from the jury box, but they could acquit, which is a form of forgiveness. It's not absolution. If the person did something wrong, they still did that wrong, and they still may owe a recompense. But society will not use the power of the jury to punish you. They, the jury forgives your iniquity. You still may have recompense. But that was very important because if you didn't have that and you didn't have a jury that was attending to that responsibility that Jesus calls the weightier matters, which is attending to law, judgment, mercy, and faith. If you do not have that, you will not have mercy. If you don't have mercy for others, you will not have mercy for yourself. Because as you judge, so shall you be judged. If you do not attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, you will find yourself oppressed by an authority. You will find yourself snared in a system that should have been for your welfare, which is what David said, but was a snare that made you a human resource. Paul quotes David. Peter says that through covetous practices, desiring benefits at the expense of others, through men who exercised authority one over the other, which was forbidden to the followers of Christ. They could not do that. You are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles. According to Jesus' own words, right there in black and white, in almost every translation, you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors, but only give you benefits by exercising authority one over the other, by taking away from your neighbor in, in what could only be called a covetous practice. You would be made merchandise, according to Peter. You would curse your children, according to Peter. Yet, right before Modern Christendom, but before the eyes of the modern Christen, Christendom church or Christian church, they are sending people to men who call themselves benefactors. They are sending their own congregations, their own churches, to men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. In the sacrifice of fools. Where they force the contributions of their neighbors. So that they can have free stuff, benefits, dainties of rulers. All of which they talk about in Proverbs. They talk about in Psalms. They talk about in Ecclesiastes. They talked about in Exodus. And much of this comes from the fact that people do not understand the very basics of what Moses was teaching. The same as many of the Pharisees did not understand the basics of what Moses was teaching. He said, from the beginning, all the sacrifices, all the Corbin, that are brought to the altars of God, 
which were living altars even back in the days of Moses. They weren't piles of stone. They were living altars. We explain this in our articles on altars of clay and stone. That these altars would receive the contributions of the people that had to be free will offerings. Not forced offerings. Not the result of a corvee. And we will look at the corvee in greater and greater detail as, uh, you know, we progress on with uh, the next chapters that we may look at, which seems to be Ezra, which will have to bring us into Chronicles and Isaiah and Ezekiel and everything because all these prophets are overlapping. As we, we've already gone through the, a lot of the minor prophets, so you can look at that. But now we will start looking at some of the others. Ezra has the book of Ezra, but he wrote the book of Nehemiah. He also wrote Chronicles. So even though the book of Ezra is not real long, the story of Ezra spans a great deal of time and a great deal of the Bible. But understanding this corvi, the system of statute labor, unpaid labor imposed by the state on certain classes of people for the performance of work on public projects. They would actually enlist you. They could actually go and take you off the street and put you to work in public projects. Now, they used to be able to actually quarter soldiers in your house and you had to feed them. You had to give them a place to sleep. And that was one of the complaints of the Declaration of Independence. You're still quartering soldiers in your house but they don't they aren't actually living in your house <laughs> we have a economic system where we can take a portion of what you would put in your house you know the money you have to buy a couch or to buy a bed or to buy sheets or to buy plates or food for the table they can take that money away, representing your labor, and give it to somebody else. They can give it to soldiers, they can give it to school teachers, they can give it to, they can pay off student loans with it, they can borrow against the future, so that you will owe money in the future, but it's still a Corby system of statutory labor. And this comes up Quite a few times in the Bible. It comes up in Homer's Odyssey. You know, whatever day makes a man a slave takes half his worth away. So whatever day takes half his worth away makes a man a slave. And now, I didn't read that till I was, you know, sometime in the 60s, 1960s. Long before that, when I had asked my father who he worked for, he said, until July 1st, I worked for the government. Because he was in a 50% income tax bracket, he knew that half his worth, half his labor, was already be taken away from him. I don't know if he read Homer's Odyssey. <laughs> he probably did at one time. But then he knew 
He knew he was in back in the bondage of Egypt, but it was worse. Because in the bondage of Egypt, they only took 20% of your labor, one-fifth of your labor away. Today, they can take half of your labor away or more. Just in income tax. Then there's still security tax, property tax, sales tax, gas tax. No. People are back in the corvi, Back in the bondage of Egypt. Again. And they're back in the bondage of Egypt for one simple fact. Although we can... If we break it down to this one simple fact. Is they aren't being preached to... The truth about the gospel of the kingdom. Because Christians, when they were cast out of the Corbin system of the Pharisees, when they departed from the Corbin system of Rome, the Romans who were in that system departed from that. Some of them may not have been in that system, but we know that some of the Romans were leaving the Corbin system of Rome, because they had a Corbin system too. It was instituted probably mostly by Augustus Caesar. He he was uh, Tiberius as well, and, and others. They they extended this this system, this Corby system, at first to subjects of the empire, like the Gauls. And they tried to impose it on the Germanic tribes. And they certainly started to impose it upon the Jewish tribes. But it was this system of corvi where a portion of what you produced now is going to belong to the government. And you don't get the fruit of all your labor. This is a huge transition. It took place in America back in the 30s with FDR. And it alters the thinking in society. But there had to be an alteration of the thinking in society before 1930 in order the people to be so blind as to not see what was taking place. And of course, it was very subtle at first because, like we, we said in earlier shows when we were going through Ecclesiastes, and we've, we said it, we mentioned it in our study on Exodus, where people were in the bondage of Egypt, which was a, a system of corby. They were slaves in Egypt, starting in Genesis. Because 20% of their labor belonged to the government, to the Pharaoh, to the government of the Pharaoh. 20% of their labor, one-fifth. And they had gone into that bondage because they had to eat at the table of the Pharaoh because they were out of money and they were out of food. And you had this choice. Starve or agree to the conditions laid down by Joseph for Pharaoh where a portion of your labor now belonged to the government but they would take care of your social welfare through the temples of Egypt where the granaries were. And the whole world has followed that same process. But we'll have to talk more about this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after this break. (laughs) 
Well, welcome back. So, we were talking about this Corby system of statutory labor, where a portion of your labor belongs to the government. And you say, well, how else is the government going to get support if it doesn't tax the people? Well, of course, this is all laid out in the Constitution, which they stopped teaching you years and years ago in your public educational systems. Uh, that they could impose tariffs and excise taxes. But then again, the government didn't provide all the services that it supposedly provides today. That, and so it didn't need as much money. It didn't need as much funding. So, like system of social welfare, I just heard on the news program before we began this broadcast, where they were talking about the... Uh, because of the fact that Roe versus Wade was overturned. And now the states have a right to decide how they want to handle abortion clinics in their country, in their states. And this is creating confusion. And, and so the people are standing up there and saying, so we still have to provide health care for all the pregnant people and we don't want to interfere with that. Well, the reality is, is why do you, the state have to provide all the health care? For pregnant people, or sick people, or injured people. Why is that the state's job? It, it wasn't the state's job originally in America. Somewhere along the line, we accepted the idea that the state is supposed to take care of us. And provide for us. But the state can't do any of that without taking something away from somebody else. That's and the idea that the state is your benefactor is antichrist. You know they say, oh well, we we can now become moral because we're not going to have all these abortions, but we're going to still take a bite out of one another in order to provide health care for the needy of our society. We're going to still use force. To take care of the needy of our society. Which is directly contradictory. To what. John the Baptist was saying. When he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Told us to seek the kingdom. They asked him. How do we do that? Well if you have two coats. And your neighbor doesn't have one. Share. Do the same in meats. Do the same in healthcare. Do the same in, in in love for one another. That that's basically the gospel of John, the Baptist. And why was he having to say that? Because the Herod and the Pharisees said, "No, if you don't have a coat, we'll take a coat away from some rich guy, and we'll give it to you. All you have to do is sign up." For our system of Corbin. Don't pay any attention to the fact that that John the Baptist guy is out there in the desert. Out there in the desert because he he would likely be killed if he came to Jerusalem. <laughs> and, and so he's been canceled as far as the powers that be are. And... He's preaching the gospel of charity and love for one another where we take care of one another in an intentional community, a government of the people, for the people, and by the people operating through faith, hope, and charity. That's what John is preaching. 
But the Pharisees are preaching, no, you sign up, you become registered with us. We will address that registration again in Ezra. And we will provide social welfare through the temple, through a system of Corvi and Corbin that provides for the needy of society through the compelled offerings. Which was, that was the sin of Saul. He forced a sacrifice. Well now, every citizen forces a sacrifice upon their neighbor in order to have the state provide them with social welfare. The the lady who was speaking on the news, it seems to be absolutely oblivious of the fact that you could do this yourselves. We used to do this in America. Provide all the social welfare. And it was actually considered to even think of the government as providing a social welfare of any kind, even in the state of an emergency, such as, you know, whole blocks, city blocks in Washington, D.C., burned down. People fled their homes. The fire traveled so fast in those wooden structures that people fled their homes, some of them naked. Lost every possession they had. Because it just burned down to ashes. And these people were in a desperate way. And Congress convened and said, we have to send them relief. We have some money. It's actually in the days when there was still actually money in the coffers of the Treasury of the United States. (laughs) They actually sent money to help out these poor, poor people. And because one congressman voted for that, his constituency would not vote for him ever again. Unless he repented, openly repented, of the sin of taking government money from the rulers to provide social welfare. That's the way Americans thought about it. At the time, now obviously, at the at the particular time, Congress didn't think that way. But anyway, the the reality is that 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 particular congressman. You can go read our article on Davy Crockett, because that particular congressman who voted to take government money to help these poor people out was considered a sin by those people who had previously elected him. And they called him out on that. And he admitted he was wrong in doing so. Go read the article. But today, the modern American thinks, oh, well, the, the state has to take care of the social welfare of all the pregnant women in, uh, in Kentucky. And Texas. And Missouri. And California. Well, of course in California. But... That's against the teachings of Christ, against the teaching of John the Baptist, against the teachings of the Bible. That you're supposed to take care of one another, not through a system of social welfare operated through men who exercise authority, but through the citizenry who exercise love. And that was the purpose of the church, that was the purpose of the altars of Moses, the altars of Abraham, the altars of 
Jacob was to take care of the needy of society through free will offerings. And and that is the basic teachings of the whole Bible. That you go to go tell that to your pastor. Do a little study first. We've got a lot of studies that you can get. See, get familiar. Have conversations with other people. So you can get familiar with, you know, you know, where does it talk about Corby in the Bible? First Kings 11, 28. Psalms 81, 7. Nehemiah 4, 11. But not just those places. Because of the fact that they use several different words. See, that was one of the problems with Solomon, which we will see in Ezra. Is that the, the, the servants of Solomon didn't have, according to what they will tell you, they didn't have the biological lineage in order to be the priests in Nethanim of this new government they were setting up. In reality, what they're talking about is they didn't have the social record because, see, Solomon tried to impose a corvi. And in our study of Exodus, we brought this up because it was brought up by Oz, which was one of the panelists of Jordan Peterson. Who brought it up and everybody mentioned it just for a second. And then they went on not to look at it anymore. The whole bondage of Egypt was a core B system of statutory bondage where a portion of your labor belonged to the government. The new pharaoh that rose up wanted to make this status of servitude more grievous. But they were slaves when they entered back in Genesis. And I I heard Jordan Peterson talking about this in his... Now this is now becoming available on, on YouTube before you could only watch it on the Daily Wire. But he doesn't get it. He he hasn't made the connection. They get so close, they walk around it. But so do all the modern churches. They, Well, actually, some of them don't even walk around it. They just turn a total blind eye. We're saved because we believe in Jesus. We're not going to do what Jesus said. As a matter of fact, we're going to do the opposite of what he said. But we believe in him. Well, that's a lie. Because you know who believes in him by what they do. That's New Testament. It's not that they earn salvation, but if they're still workers of iniquity, they're not born again. They're not following the way of Christ. And you can tell this by what they're doing. But they they talk about the the burden bearer and and you can go to Exodus one eleven, Exodus two eleven, Exodus five four verses four and five, Exodus six verses six and seven. They're all talking about this Corvi system because that's what Egypt was in, which basically brings us down to the fact that today in every country of the world, to one degree or another, everybody. Every system of government has returned the people to the bondage of Egypt. 
someplace that the Bible tells us never to go back to. And they've only been able to do that because in the modern churches of today, in the modern synagogues of today, in the modern uh, uh, Islam today, they all turn a blind eye to the idea that what should have been for your welfare is actually a snare and a trap. And has returned everybody across the entire planet to the bondage of Egypt. Where a portion of your labor no longer belongs to you. Your children no longer belong to you. Your land no longer belongs to you. You no longer are those freeholder title holders of land. A lot of people say, oh, well, I know how to do that. Well, I would get back to this in land patents and nonsense. The only way back to the state of liberty under God is the righteousness of God. You have to come together and start caring about one another. You went into bondage because you didn't care about one another. You cared about what you could get, the benefits you could get from the state or wherever. By force, not by love, not by charity, not by free will offering. You took away the choices of your neighbor, or you threw away your own choices, so that you could take a bite out of your neighbor in covetous practices to get free stuff. And you practice this daily, all around the world. And unless you repent of that, see that, repent of that, see that, Admit that. And turn around your thinking and go the other way. Where you start providing this through faith, hope, and charity. Through love. Rather than force, fear, fealty. You will not be free. There is no substitute for the righteousness of God. There is absolutely no substitute for it. So anyway, we can... uh, we're going to get into a lot of other things as we go into these other books, but uh, and there is a complete review at preparing you of uh, it's not 100% complete because we haven't done the last chapter <laughs> at, at Ecclesiastes where we have an outline of all the chapters and uh, and the headings so that you get get an idea and you can go through this and see you know why. Why is he talking about the song of fools and the sacrifice of fools? And how does that equate to the song of the Lamb and the song of the Pharisees and the song of Moses uh, who set up the altars of Nisi? And what were the altars of Nisi? All this stuff is fairly evident, but not preached by the modern churches. So, yeah, you might have to do a little study in order to help you set down the baggage of modern religion. So that you can begin to see what you, the value of the wisdom of God over the wisdom of men, which comes from the tree of knowledge. You don't want to be eating of that tree of knowledge. So hopefully that when we have the entire, uh, up, you know, that study up so that everybody can take a look at it, we can get into chapter 12 and the final conclusion because that's 
that's where he brings all this together. Uh, and he, he gives you, he touches on the remedy, and we did that previously, you know, cast your bread upon the waters. It's about charity, which is about love. Same word for charity, same word for love in the Greek. Free will offering, same as charity. It doesn't mention charity anywhere in the King James in the Old Testament, but it does talk about free will offerings. They have to be free will offerings on the altars of God, and the altars of God are the social safety net of God operated through men you choose for yourselves that meet certain qualifications. Laid down in the text, which we've explained, and you can go back and study yourself. So, when we go and we start reading Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, it begins, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves, the grinders cease because they are few. And those that look out of the windows be darkened. We live in darkness. And so we're shedding some light on what people are not seeing. A lot of people are not going to want to see that they have gone after the ways of Balaam. After the way of the Nicolaitan. That the modern Christian's deeds are the deeds of the Nicolaitan. Which God hates. He doesn't hate you. But he hates your deeds. And your deeds can keep you from seeing the light. Because you don't want to see your deeds. And your deeds are is that you've been slothful in the ways of righteousness. You have not been sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands as Christ commanded. You haven't been casting your bread upon the waters. Yeah, you help some local people out. You changed the flat tire for that old lady down the street. You know, you helped out the people in your local congregation. But that's not casting your bread upon the waters. That's not kingdom economics. That's just your local back-scratching community. You have to think kingdom. But he says, remember now thou, thy creator... In the days of thy youth. Which is why I'm talking about the past. In the youth of America. When America was great. When after thousands and thousands of years. Of systemic slavery. Almost every nation at at one time or another. Had been setting up systems of slavery. Now you you can find periods of time in Rome. Where there were servants in the households, but they were not necessarily slaves. And the servants were prized and ate at the table of the people who they served. Because they were like a family. Working together. And the the servant was taken care of in their old age by 
their master. And we saw that with Abraham. Who men preferred to be a slave to Abraham than a free man in Egypt. Because Abraham operated by love. And we know that because he set up altars where he took care of the needy of society through free will offerings. But if you think that setting up these altars were just burning up sheep to make smoke go up in the air to make God happy, you're already under a strong delusion. And upon that strong delusion, more delusion can be created. So we have to go back and understand that. So we have to go back to the days of our youth, the early days. What we were doing before we descended into the bondage of Egypt. Before we descended into the bondage of Egypt, we took care of all social welfare in America through faith, hope, and charity. We built hospitals with charity. We took care of the needy through charity. We educated people through charity. You go to Harvard, Princeton, Yale. If you didn't have the money, you could still go if you could make the grade. You could still get the education without a student loan if you could make the grade. That was available. It was written into their charters. Not no more. Now you have to get student loans and you have to tax people and and you don't even get an education. Well, you're going to get an education, but it's not going to be the easy one. <laughs> because you're you're coming on economic collapse because deception didn't begin in the last couple of years. Deception has been with us always. It's crept in, but it's been with us always. So we're taking you back to the days when in your youth when the evil days did not come. Where they hadn't come yet. Where we weren't coveting our neighbor's goods that the men who exercised authority one over the other. When we weren't looking to the, the fathers of the earth which are the patronuses of government. You know, go read an article on, on fathers. Jesus said, call no man on earth father. Who's he talking about? I, I have seen pastor after pastor and writer after writer and theologian after theologian beat around the bush. They don't want to look. And it was obvious everywhere at that particular time who the fathers of the earth were. They called them the conscripted patri. The conscripted fathers. When you address them, you would say, Father Cicero, Patri Cicero, because he was the conscripted father. Who am I talking about? The Senate, the legislature of the government. And who was the father of the fathers? The emperor, the imperator, the commander-in-chief. You were to call no man father, according to Jesus. Who's he talking about? The legislature. The lady on the news this morning, she's saying... Oh, we still have to take care of all the needy of our society through who? Through the legislature? Through the tax collector? Through the taskmasters? Who take a portion of your labor, a portion of your house? Who will rob widows and orphans to provide those benefits? That's not the way of Christ. Don't tell me you're a Christian and want to get 
the benefits of men who exercise authority. The fathers of the earth, the benefactors who exercise authority. You can see how how many, I, I don't want to say most people professing to be Christians today are not going to want to hear this message. The sheep of Christ hear the voice of Christ. They hear the words of Christ and they say, Oh my gosh. There's the good shepherd who leads us to the truth no matter how hard it hurts. But it won't hurt for long if you repent and seek the kingdom. In the days when the keepers of the house shall tremble. Oh, we could tear that apart in the Hebrew. (laughs) Who's the keeper of your house? Where the strong man bows themselves. We have so many strong men out there. Well, some of them don't know they're strong men because they were raised in this society which tells them that being a strong man is a toxic thing. (laughs) But, uh, and the grinders cease because they are few. Who's the grinders? That's the guys who get the job done. Who's the keeper of your house? Is it God? Is it even your house? This is why we address all these things, legal title, all those things in previous studies, is so that you understand that you may not be the keeper of your house. You may be a strong man, but you you have to bow yourself because you've returned to the bondage of Egypt. So, So when you think about these verses in that light, when you think about these verses in in that perspective, they take on a whole new meaning. And that's what we're trying to bring you to is the meaning of Christ, the meaning of Jesus. But we'll have to do it when we return to the keys of the kingdom after another brief break. So take a breather. Well, welcome back. So let's uh, let's get into this verse five because uh, now those first four verses, someone could read those and think they were talking about a particular way of thinking. You know, in verse four, the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sounds of the grinding is low, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird. And all the daughters of music shall be brought low. What in on earth is he talking about? <laughs> the daughters of music. That sounds like something that would be delightful. You know, because he's talking to begin with vanities and vanities, emptiness is emptiness. But now the daughters of music shall be brought low. They're not giving off their music. I mean, you can do a study of the music for the last 50 years, 100 years, and see see where we've been going with the music, and it it is reflective of where we're going spiritually in the world. But music is so subject to emotion, it's difficult to tell. But he says the sound of the grinding is low as well. You know, the, the grinding was a tedious task of grinding, you know, grain. It had to be done. 
on a regular basis. And the rise up at the voice of the bird, that would be, you know, when the birds first start singing, I'm usually already awake in my office and I hear the birds starting to sing. <laughs> Sometimes I'm still awake in my office when the birds start to sing. <laughs> but uh, the doors shall be shut in the streets. What what is that? They shut the doors to you. You can't come in, you know. Out here in this country, a lot of the people don't even lock their doors at night. And it was always kind of a joke that, that I would say to people. I says the only time people lock their car in our local community is during zucchini season. And I, I, I started saying that when I was... My car would be parked out on the side of the road. And literally, you know, the you, I'd be 40 miles away from home. But when the UPS driver had a package for me, he would put it in my car 40 miles away. He recognized my car. <laughs> and there the UPS package would be, or even occasionally FedEx. FedEx Air, not ground. But... Um, uh, but the other thing that would show up in my front seat, besides occasionally a bag of cookies, which I have no idea where they came from, uh, would be piles of zucchini. That people, during zucchini season, people would have, everybody had too much zucchini. <laughs> so you would find piles of zucchini sitting in the front seat of your truck. Well, that's, that's the only time we lock our doors is during zucchini season, which is a play on the idea that we're pretty open community, but we're way out in the middle of nowhere. You don't do this in the major cities. Because the doors shall be shut in the streets. People are afraid. That's today. When the sound of the sound of the grinding is low. People aren't working like they used to. I mean, a lot of you are out there working hard. But an awful lot of people would, would not... Move towards the sound of working. I always remember a guy who made it through the Depression. He was an old cowboy. I've told lots of stories about him. I lived with him on the uh, up in the upper uh, of the Mississippi River, in the headwaters of the Mississippi River. And uh, he said that you know he he looked at the government welfare line, where you could you could get in this line and you get a free meal, and then they would. Try and you could apply for jobs and all this kind of stuff, except for there was no jobs to have. And, and he he came across the line and he was looking for work, and the line was like four men wide, going down the street. And and he knew where the end of the line was because everybody was facing the other direction. So he started walking down the end of the line. It went around the corner, and it went around the corner again. And he's out like, I'm going to get in the back of this line and wait for the government to come up with a job for me? No, I'm not going to do that. So he just started walking. He didn't have any idea what he... Just something in him said, just start walking down the street. And he just started walking down the street. And he, he kind of lost track of where he was at. He'd come from the countryside a little bit, you know. And uh, I think he was in New York at this particular time. And he's just started walking down the street and walking down the street. And uh, all of a sudden, he was walking and he became conscious of the fact of somebody pounding a hammer somewhere. He could hear the, the noise of a hammer. And uh, he didn't even know where he was, really. He 
kind of, I mean, he didn't know what street he was on. But he heard this hammering and he listened in a doorway and the doorway was open. The door was just wide open. And there was hammering coming out the doorway and he looked in, he didn't see anybody, but he saw stairways and it sounded like the hammering was coming from upstairs somewhere. This is like four-story buildings. And he walked in and kind of walked in. He just kept following the sound of that hammering. And he finally got upstairs and he came into a room and there was a carpenter there working. And the guy looked at him and he looked at the guy and he says, You need any help? And the guy said, Any good? He says, I can work. And he says, Well, here, there's some tools here. Get the boards and start moving on. And... And he had a job. And he worked there for like nine months through the winter and uh, made up, saved up enough money to head out to Montana <laughs> to become a cowboy. And uh, that's how he got through the Depression. He could have stood in line waiting for that government handout or he could follow something in his heart and say, I'm, I'm looking for work. I'm looking for a grinding stone that's not making much noise. And I'm going to make a little noise myself. And so anyway, so he headed in a different direction. So that's what that verse 4 is all about. The doors are shut. The sign to the grinding stone is low. The voice of the bird, you know, and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird early in the morning. And all the daughters of music shall be brought low because... But this guy is looking for music. He's looking for... He wants to bring that Daughters of Music up. He doesn't want to stand in line for the sacrifice of fools. He wants to seek righteousness. He wants to do a good day's work. So you think that's cryptic? Let's get into verse 5. Also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high and fears shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners shall go about the streets. So I can tell you this, there probably wasn't a lot of laughing and joking in that four-man wide line that went around the corner and around the corner again, almost all the way around to the beginning. The whole city block. That's how many guys were standing in line waiting for something that this guy wasn't going to wait. He was going to go look for work. He was going to look for the way of righteousness. And do an honest day's work. He slept right there with the, the, where the carpenter was working. They made up a little bunk and he got a little mattress and some blankets and he slept right there. And he ate with the carpenter. And he got paid. And he made it through the depression. And saved up enough money to head to Montana. Where he became a cowboy. <laughs> He was a cowboy. <laughs> but uh, when I met him, he was well in his 80s, and that was many years ago. So this is way back. So anyway, uh, let's take this verse apart a little bit. 
when they shall be afraid of that which is high. What's high? God is high. They're afraid to look at God. They're afraid of the godliness, the righteousness of God. And fear shall be in the way. It's not the way of God. It's not the way of Christ. Fear stops them. You know, it was interesting, you know, talk about lies. Uh, not the whole truth. Well, FDR said the truth and turned it into a lie. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. That is absolutely true. But what we should have been afraid of <laughs> is what FDR was coming up with next. Because the next thing he says is, if you want to enter into the bondage of Egypt, I got a lot of benefits that I can hand out to you from the government. And that's what he began to do. And you know what that brought about? It brought about grasshoppers. Because the rest of that verse, the fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden. What's a grasshopper? Well, if you're on the page at Preparing You and you're listening to this live, that link, there's not a link there in the word grasshopper. There will be by the end of the show because I've already put it in during the break. (laughs) Because I've got articles on grasshoppers, which are the locusts. Swarms of officers to eat out your substance. They shall be a burden. but Because fear, you're afraid to live by faith, hope, and charity. Because you're afraid to go the way, the highway of Christ. You you think, we can't live by faith, open charity. We need entitlements. We need guarantees. No, you don't. If you think that, you'll end up with grasshoppers eating out your substance. Which you have already done. And they shall be a burden, which they already are. But it's going to get worse. Because there's... Thousands and thousands of more of them being employed to make your life difficult. Well, what do almond trees have to do with this? We, we skipped over that. And the almond trees shall flourish. Well, what's that word there in the Hebrew for almond trees? <laughs> and, and why did they translate it almond trees? Well, we'll have to go into that much deeper, but we won't get through this. Maybe we'll do that in the afternoon show. But um, the word there for almond trees is shin, kuf, i got to remember, delet. <laughs> shin, kuf, delet. Almond trees. That's what it means. It means almond trees. But now, to be fair, there's another word. Spelled exactly the same, shim kuf delet, that actually means to wake, to watch, to awaken, to keep watch. So, what is it? Is it to keep watch or not? It, you know, the, there's actually another word, given another Strong's number, it's spelled exactly the same, that is translated almond six times. But it actually means a cup shaped like an almond. Like a blossom. So, wh- wh- what, again, what are they talking about? 
uh, it has these other meanings. Uh, What does it have to do? It's actually translated remain and hasten. So something hastens and flourishes, things speed up. Uh, What does that mean? Because it also, there's another word. Spelled exactly the same. Shin Kuf Dela. Given another Strong's number. Same word. It means to bind. To to bind to 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 keep. Uh, to be kept. To be made doubtful. Uh, well, at least the meaning is somewhat doubtful. But that's what the same. But they translated almond tree. Now you can translate almond tree if you want. That's fine with me, because I know that the same word also means to bind. So is binding the people flourishing so that the grasshoppers become a burden? Because fear is what is moving you. I mean, that's what was going on during COVID. Oh, oh I, I remember the the local doctors in the the nearby hospital, 75 miles away. They listened to the original reports, the Ferguson reports concerning COVID and all this stuff. I mean, when I started hearing those reports, I just got calmer and calmer and calmer. I even had people very close to me. Telling me, oh, that I had to be really afraid because I was old and I had bad lungs and, you know, I could just, but I got stiller and stiller and stiller. I could just feel it coming over me. Fear not. Fear not. But the local doctors at the hospital, they were afraid. They, they thought we we're going to have to order body bags. We'll have 300 people dead in this county before the first month is out. That's what they concluded from the reports they were hearing from these paid-off statisticians who were sleeping with their students. <laughs> Ferguson <laughs> in England was telling people. Well, of course, we didn't have 300 people die in the first month. We didn't have most of the deaths have come from people who got vaccinated. We had almost no deaths whatsoever from COVID. In the entire county. Certainly not 300 in the first month. Uh, and, and the reality, if you look into the, the few deaths, I mean, like two deaths that you could relate to COVID. I mean, they were elderly people, very uh, a lot of other morbidities, that it was probably the treatment they received that caused their final death. And the fact that they were very, very old. And very frail. But, yeah, people vaccinated, dead within 72 hours, with blood clots. That's real in this county. We're the least vaccinated county in the state of Oregon. Hopefully it's because we're the least afraid, the least duped. (laughs) But fear is what drove billions of people to receive vaccinations that seem to be causing, by all the data that's coming in here, heart failure, infertility, blood clotting, cancers, 
Uh, we're talking millions upon millions upon millions of people may be dying from this mass hysteria, this mass formation of psychosis. And it was all driven by fear because we are become accustomed to listen to liars who tell us the news. Because we have no other source of news. I mean, you can go on to podcasts and, and, and listen. But the news used to travel in America through the churches. And the churches used to take care of all the social welfare of the needy of society. It was all done through charity. All done through the gathering. Not all churches were doing this, but a vast majority of the churches were heavily immersed in the care of the widows and orphans and needy of society. But now we're driven by fear. Because fear sells. And we're, we neglect the things that are on high. And the mourners are going to be going about in the street more so than ever before. And now an interesting verse, verse 6. Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Now what's the cistern? That's where we have water. And the wheel may be what they use to draw the water up out of a cistern, a reservoir of water. And the pitcher at the fountain is broken. And he talks about the golden bowl be broken. But the silver cord be loosened. Yeah, I'm, 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 I really should look into that more. That, that astounded me when I read that more recently. Because that's a reference to, you know, in metaphysics, they talk about a silver cord attaching us, our spirit, to our physical body. And when that silver cord is broken, then we're dead. We're severed from our fleshly body. The spirit is released. So, that that verse there, I think, has to be looked into greater. But I find it very interesting that these references are made. But, of course, this is just a continuation of what we saw in verse 5. The mourners in the street, the people driven by fear... Uh, what we saw earlier with the, the strong man being burdened. They, they've gone into bondage because they forgot the days of their youth when we used to take care of all the social welfare and the social safety net of society through faith, open charity, through a network of love for one another, of neighbor loving neighbor, which has been the gospel from Moses to Jesus Christ. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Not covet thy neighbor's goods to men who exercise authority. Because that's a snare. That system has always been a snare. It was a snare in the days of David. It was a snare in the days of Joseph. So why wouldn't it be a snare today? Well, of course it is. So verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. And the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. We we are not in charge except of what God has put us in charge of. And he has put us in charge of loving our neighbor as ourselves. We have neglected that. In the 
weightier matters of the law. We don't, we don't even understand jury nullification. We waive our right to that all the time. I don't even know if we could have a real jury. If we go by the original definition in the Webster's 28, 19, uh, 1828 dictionary, we couldn't even put together a jury. Much less a jury who has the power of nullification. And that's all because we have not been attending to the weightier matters. We've been looking to the state to deal with the weightier matters. We think, oh, that's their job. We've been slothful. And therefore, we are now under tribute. What tribute? Tribute is related to the statutory bondage of Egypt. The Corvée system, where you had to give a portion of your labor to the government. That's tribute. The slothful are to be under tribute. And that is where you are at. Because you have been slothful in the ways of righteousness. Which is, you are supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But you haven't been. You've been going to church to get your ears tickled and to feel good. Time to repent. Because the mourners are going to be increasing. In the city streets. And the doors are going to be shut to you. Somebody recently took a job in another town. And it's a controversial job. And they're controversial people. And I said. All the people that say they are all for you. And going to give you support. When the enemies of what you're doing. The grinding that you're going to be doing in this job. (laughs) The grinding stone is going to start turning. They will try to find fault with you. And when they finally find an opportunity to attack you, all those people offering support, they will not be there for you. Uh, Maybe there will be an exception, but most of them will not be there for you. Because we have become accustomed to not caring about our neighbor as much as we care about ourselves and our own personal comfort. That's why we have churches that make us feel comfortable. They make us feel safe. They make us feel righteous, even though we are engaged in activities that Christ forbid and not engaged in the activities that Christ commanded. And yet we say we are followers of Christ. That cannot be. It is time to repent. But that's the good news, if you can hear it, is that there is time to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's what we're showing you besides Ecclesiastes. Because the dust is returning to earth. Millions have died. Millions more will die. And they haven't even got started on you. Because all that they offer is vanity is a a vanity. It's emptiness. But in that emptiness there is darkness. And in the darkness evil lurks. And where evil... Interesting study came out. Where they were feeding animals food that should raise their cholesterol. And they had all these animals in cages. And they were feeding them these... And of course they had a control group that they didn't feed these cholesterol increasing foods to. 
And then they had a couple of groups that they were feeding them to. And they found that one group, they they were getting the food that should have increased their cholesterol, and it wasn't doing it. That the diet was literally toxic for those animals. But something was happening, and the animals were not suffering the toxicity of this terrible diet that they were feeding them. And they found out that the keeper of those animals, when he would feed them, he would put his hand in and pet them. (laughs) And feed them the food. And something turned on in the animal because of the way they were being treated by their keeper that caused their body to produce what was necessary to detoxify their food. I can tell you stories ancient times where this goes on all the time and has gone on. This is why you're supposed to have a blessing before the meal. Is why we are to treat each other with love because if we don't, our society will become toxic. But we'll have to talk more about this when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. And after a break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're we're looking at these uh, these different verses of this final conclusion, and uh, you know I can condemn the translators who do things like turn the same word that means to bind into almond tree, <laughs> so that people look like almond tree. What does that have to do with anything? Or uh, even the word flourish there, shall flourish. You know, the the same word that they are translating into flourish um, actually is more often translated despise. So, wait, are we supposed to despise the almond tree or uh, despise the fact that we're... Because the same word for almond tree means to bind. And, uh, or... Watchfulness. And of course, if you add the word that despise watchfulness, is the people who don't want to see. They don't want to, they don't want to see what's going on. They would rather be afraid. I mean, how many people did you try to talk to when everybody was gripped with this fear that of COVID was going to kill 300 people in our county of 8,000 people in, in 30 days? They were gripped with fear. And if you tried to talk to him, you know the only doctor who died during all this? And he died of cardiac failure. And he wasn't that old. But he would have shouting matches with other doctors insisting that everybody in the hospital get the vaccination. He got them. He got all the boosters. And he died of cardiac failure. At a, a fairly young doctor. Not, a, not an ancient old man. With all kinds of morbidities. He had uh, serious carditis and, and heart failure. And if somebody did an autopsy, I'm sure they would find blood clots. But he insisted. Uh, some of the other doctors were not so insistent. Some were, some were less. But he would actually have shouting matches in the hospital, insisting everybody, every nurse, every aide in the, get this vaccination. Because 
the almond tree flourished <laughs> in his life. In other words, he didn't want to see, despise seeing the truth. He didn't want to. I mean, there were a lot of people who didn't know the truth, didn't hear the truth. But there's some people who didn't really want to hear the truth. But there's some people that despised hearing the truth. And that's with the whole gospel. And you're going to see that. But now when you see that written there, almond tree that flourishes, you're going to think a different thought than what you thought before. (laughs) So anyway, but that's not the verse we're on now. (laughs) So vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity, it's all emptiness. Because what I'm sharing with you is knowledge. And the tree of knowledge is not the solution. The tree of knowledge is actually, eating of the tree of knowledge is actually the problem. It's the tree of life that we need to be eating of. And this is, that's not vanity. To eat of the tree of life. That, that will give you life forever. But if you're going to eat of the tree of knowledge, that's vanity. But yet, it goes on in verse 9, which I'm leading you up to. And moreover, because the preacher, the teacher, you know, I have a picture of Christ at the beginning of this, this whole Ecclesiastes, because he was the teacher. But he was, the word really means the gatherer. Because the preacher, teacher, gatherer was wise, was wise, not wise in his own eyes, but was wise because he had the wisdom of God occasionally touched his heart and his mind. Some of it during this very show. I, I've already changed the page. <laughs> I've added more to, to the page study. And I will probably add to it more before we finally finish up this whole Ecclesiastes study, which we should be well into Ezra by that time. But even though the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Even though, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. He doesn't want them to eat at the tree of knowledge, but he's teaching them knowledge. Why? So that they can set down their burdens that they have picked up when they fled the light. Because that's what we do. We, we try to cover our sin, our nakedness, our inability to eat of the tree of knowledge and come to a conclusion as to what is right and wrong. We can't do this on our own. We must be individually, divinely inspired. By God. We must have God's law written upon our heart and upon our mind. Not by the knowledge I can give you, but by God himself. How do you do that? You repent. And you start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Which means sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And start going back to the days of your youth. When we used to take care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. That's what I'm doing. Trying to set them in order so that you understand. They're not talking about almond trees. They're talking about being watchful. 
See, you know that they're talking about being watchful because they use the word flourish there, which actually means despise. So, what is it? <laughs> what, what, what are they actually, uh, what are they actually addressing here? To spurn, to contempt. They despise being watchful. They don't want to hear the truth. That's the almond tree flourishing. They don't want to see the truth. You could go and show them all the evidence you want. They don't want to hear it. But there's some of you who need help with your unbelief. And so we give you the knowledge to so that you can see. Wait a minute. I didn't see that. Wait a minute. I I have been operating from fear. Wait wait a minute. I haven't been loving my neighbor as myself. I haven't been taking care of the needy of my society in an intentional in, in an intentional community of love for one another. I've been going to church, I've been singing songs. But it's not the daughters of music. The daughters of that daughters, those daughters of music are low. They make you feel good, but they don't give you the truth. They give you vanity. It's empty. Verse 10. The preacher, preacher, teacher, gatherer, sought to find out acceptable words. And that which was written was upright. Even words of truth. Because in the Hebrew, there's a lot in this Ecclesiastes that makes sense. But the translators make it so it doesn't make sense. But that's okay. And I condemn them. That's not my job. The translators did what the translators did. But ultimately... It is the Spirit that giveth life. Not the correct translation. The Bible is a representation of the Word of God in language form, which is finite, and therefore cannot impart to you the infinite. Because the only way you can receive the infinite is through the Spirit. And the Spirit come where it willeth. But God showed you, Christ showed you the way. And in your youth, early America had the way, which is why they were able to end slavery. If they had a little bit more of the way, they could have ended slavery with a lot less violence. <laughs> but, and the fact is, they did end slavery in half the nation. Half the nation were free states. You could go all over the world. There was no such thing as a free state. There was, there was no nation that I can think of at that time where there were states, nations, countries, governments, where slavery was outlawed. But in America it was, which is why America was great. It wasn't because there weren't any evil people here. There were always evil people around. It was evil in the garden. But there were some people that were taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And this altered the nation. Since we stopped that, since we gone the other way, 
the way of covetousness and covetous practices, the way of avarice, the way of sloth, the nature of America has changed. You're not going to make America great again by electing Trump. I mean, you can do that if you want. I don't have any objection to it. I'm not going to say anything bad about Trump. But that is not your salvation. Your salvation is repenting and seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, awakening the fourth branch of government of the people, for the people, and by the people to actually do what Christ said. So, in verse 10, the preacher, teacher, gatherer sought to find out acceptable words and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. Upright and even words of truth. Like Romans 13. That every man remains subject to the higher liberty. Because all liberty is of God. There is no liberty but of God. And anyone who opposes liberty opposes God. That's what it means. That's what Romans 13 means. And I've, I've shared it with preachers who try to say that, oh, they don't mean this and they don't mean that and, you know, and everything. And they're not far from the kingdom. I've had them interviewed on our past shows. You can go back and find our past shows. Because they wrote a book on Romans 13. But they missed the obvious. The, they they tried to fit it into the... They believed in their translation more than they believed in the Word of God. God has always wanted to set men free. He always wanted to give you choice. But men devise governments that take that choice away. And men throw their choice away for benefits. And what should have been for their welfare became a snare and a trap. It's a real trap. It's a real snare. But the only way back is not by your power, but by the power of God when you repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. Wow. Remember the preacher is the gatherer. And he's talking about the masters of assemblies. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies. But the Old Testament talks about free will offerings in free assemblies. That's what the gathering is. This is why I say congregations are not corporate. They're free assemblies. There is no master of assemblies unless we're talking Christ. That the pastors, preachers, what are some of the other words? Shepherds are servants. They don't own the sheep. These, it's not their flock. It's their responsibility to serve that flock. And the only way to serve that flock is to lead them back to the shepherd, the good shepherd of Christ, which is the shepherd in spirit, in truth. Spirit first, and then in truth. Not in your truth, and then whatever spirit you conjure up with your truth, but in the actual Spirit of God. Verse 12, And further by these my son be admonished of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Because 
We're not to study to show ourselves approved. But we are to be diligent in the ways of righteousness of God to show ourselves approved. Because in that being diligent, we will unfasten the masters of the world who have nailed our feet to the ground and walk again as free souls under God. Verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. That's his question. He's put that, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So what do you think that is? Fear the new world order. Fear, fear, fear the great reset. Fear the collapse of the banks coming soon to a community near you. <laughs> fear COVID. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Remember I told you back in that 1828 dictionary of Webster's that Religion was the pious performance of a duty to God and your fellow man. So the duty of man is to keep the commandments. So it's also the duty of man to love thy neighbor as thyself. And you have to do it without the covetous practices of the world. And and the governments of the world who exercise authority one over the other. You have to do it through charity. That's all I'm preaching. Fear God. Keep the commandments. Love one another through faith, hope, and charity. Something you're not doing now. You're going to the fathers of the earth, to the men who call them, to the rulers of government, the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority to provide you with education, health care, welfare, whatever. It's not enough not to be a part of that system. You have to be a part of the system of God. The system of his righteousness. Verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment. And every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. It's already built in to the system. During the plagues of Egypt. The goats were separating from the sheep. There were Israelites who were following Moses and there were Israelites who were abandoning the ways of Moses. Some of them were still going to call themselves Israelites, but others swore their allegiance to the Pharaoh. And there were Egyptians, who, like the Roman centurion, who began to question his allegiance to the evil of the world. And began to move his allegiance to the ways of Christ. Which is why there were so many Romans. And so many, we, we talked about it in one of our last shows. So many Roman soldiers who actually began to become Christians. And follow Christ. Because they were doers. You had to be a doer if you were a Roman soldier. Roman soldiers were mostly builders and engineers. Most Roman soldiers never pulled their sword in battle, statistically speaking. But all of them worked. And you could almost tell a Roman soldier, even when he was out of uniform, because he had a look about him. 
they they were generally well fed, although sometimes they were on short rations. But they exercised. They stayed in shape. The, the when they made camps every time at night, they were amazing. But unfortunately, they began to that to serve that mass murderer known as Julius Caesar. You know, and and that new pharaoh of Rome, Augustus Caesar, who set up a welfare system that was a snare. Of course, Julius had set set it up to begin with, set the people up to begin with, because he seared their conscience. Where they, instead of charging him with war crimes, when he came back from Gaul, they praised him because of all the gifts, gratuities, and benefits, because he was the man who ruined Rome. Well, wait a minute. He was the first emperor. He actually never was emperor, but he was the first one to be called that. uh, He he never received... They killed him on the day he was going down to receive his title as Imperator. But, uh, so he never really got that far. But, I mean, he held the position in almost every other way. But... The governments you choose for yourselves will be your undoing. And it was then, it ruined Rome, according to Plutarch. The guy, the, the greatest destroyers of liberty are those who spread amongst them gifts, gratuities, and benefits. So who would that be? It's kind of, you know, is that FDR or LBJ? <laughs> well, all, almost all the presidents, Republican or Democrat alike, have been handing out benefits. And now you hear on the news just before the program where they're saying, but we still have to take care of all the needy of society through government. Well, yeah, you do. But it needs to be the government of the people for the people and by the people, which is the people themselves. In voluntary assemblies and intentional communities that come together with the intent of attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And of course, law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Judgment, mercy, and faith describe what law is. And law is your duty. And your duty to mankind is to take care of the needy of your society like good shepherds, like good Samaritans, without coveting anything that is thy neighbor's. Especially by making covenants with men. And giving them the power to exercise authority one over the other. And take from your neighbor so that you can have more free stuff. You see, that idea is anti-Christ to do that. Yet, all the churches are saying that's okay. None of them hardly are preaching against that. And those that do, are they preaching the kingdom? Are they just preaching our little congregation? No, you don't seek what we're sharing to save yourself. Save you spiritually, yes. But your goal should be to save others. Because that is the best way to prepare to save yourself. Is to love others as much as you love yourself. To try to save others as much as you try to save yourself. And not just save those that you love, but those you don't even know. Which takes us back to what this says in Ecclesiastes about 
Casting Your Bread Upon the Waters. And if you haven't heard that show, go listen to that uh, chapter and see if you can't figure out the secret, secret information I'm sharing with you all the time. <laughs> so, this creator occurs as a divine name in Isaiah 40, 23. And Isaiah 44, 15. And we should remember that we were created by him. But when it talks about remember now thy creator, that we are made in his image. And his image was to give choice to mankind. If you're taking away choices from your neighbor, turning your neighbor into a person, a thing, by taking away that choice, your choices will be taken away. It's built into the system. As you judge, so shall you be judged. When the things of uh, age approach and the end of life at, at its symptoms assure us that we will go out to the long home with the mourners who go about in the streets. It's not just talking about the future event of our own demise, as we were explaining, you know, in, in verses 2 through 5. But it's talking about where we've already gone. Because remember back in the garden when we were going to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? He said you would surely die. You're already dead because you've been eating of the tree of knowledge. Now, if you want life, you have to think differently. You have to think, I can't figure this out by myself. I can only figure it out with the inspiration of God. I don't know exactly what that is for me for day to day, but what I do today will either draw me closer to God or drive me farther away. So how do you draw closer to God? The word Corbin that we see in Corbin of the Pharisees, which is the word for sacrifice, it's from a word that means to draw near. So if you want to draw near God, life, the tree of life, sacrifice is the key. And sacrifice for the good of others, not simply for yourself. Because that is your duty to God and your fellow man. Until then... All I can say is peace upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.